Welcome to the Swim Swam Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining us today, she is the head coach of the National Training Center in Loughborough for England. She's most well known for being the head coach of Olympic champ, world champ, world record holder, Adam Peaty. Today, we're sitting down with England's own Mel Marshall. How's it going, Mel? Hey, good, thank you. Very good. in Rome right now at the European Championships. Uh, you're kind enough to take time out of out of your nap time between sessions to sit down and chat with us. I have to ask first off, is it weird being at a major championship meet without Adam? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the weirdest one for me was um, probably at Commonwealth Games because I was the head coach for the Commonwealth Games. And I, my favourite part about being as a coach is the last walk down that you do with them. And so I love that bit. I'm always like, yes, this is the good bit. Um, and that was the first time I've probably not walked him down to a competition in terms of that arena since 2014. So that was really strange. Um, so, yeah, no, it's weird being without him. And um, and obviously it's weird in terms of a few people from the team that aren't here. Um, they decided just to do the two meets this summer. So we're probably at 60%, but we're doing really well and we're battling hard and there's loads of learning happening in terms of going from one meet worlds into Commonwealth Games and then bouncing on to European. So um, in answer to your question, yes, it is weird, um, but we're, we're soldiering on. Uh, give me, give me a, give me a vibe check to, to use some hip young lingo of team Britain right now. Just like you said, you're learning a lot, but it is the third major championship for a lot of these athletes or for some of these athletes, at least, um, over this summer, including a couple of your own, um, how, how do you feel like euros has gone so far for team England, especially those athletes who are on meet number three of the summer? Um, well, give you a vibe check. Wow, that's brought me back to being in my 20s. I'll try and get there. Um, so, I mean, I just think we're, we're doing really well. And like, it's obviously the biggest one, I think a lot of performers have found this year, the emotional debris off the back of a pandemic, off the back, back of an Olympic Games. is just heightened everywhere. You know? You've seen the, the big guys, the Caleb's, the Kamingas, you know, the people that did really well last year. And it's just been an adjustment year. Um, but I think we're battling really well. I'm always really proud of um, how tough our guys are when our backs are against the wall. And we showed that in COVID. And I think that's um, it's a testament to the characters that the, the swimmers are, really. And it's a pleasure to work alongside them and see them. You know, they are tired and their tanks are empty, but somehow they're finding a way. And um, so the vibe right now is battle to the end is the until the end get it done <laughs> uh for your athletes specifically um uh, i know luke greenbank there is there anna hopkin is there or no yeah. she okay um and i know you train both of them how did you prepare them for a summer like this of of so much racing or is there anything different that you did to get them ready for that kind of competition yeah, I mean, the biggest challenge we've had is you have no winter because obviously ISL took up the, the winter cycle in terms of preparation. 
Um, and then also, you know, they're off the back of the Olympics. They're just kind of just decompressing in as many ways as you can. So, I mean, we hit the ground running in January, which was pretty good. We went out to Florida on a camp. Um, managed to sneak across the borders. Lou got the flu, like literally, as in in his bed for two weeks. Um, and so then, um, then we hit the trials. That was okay. And then Anna got COVID. Um, and then we basically then went to the Worlds. Luke did really well. And then when he came back, he got COVID when he came back. So um, it was an interesting prep into the Commonwealth Games for him. But all we've done is just trying to take one week at a time and make the best of the circumstances that we've had. We went, try and get as much work in through to the trials um, and then as much work as we could in early. We went to Tenerife on a three-week camp into World Champs and then straight off World Champs, back up again for two weeks, and then back down and try and bounce from one to the next. So um, it's not a normal year. Um, it's a strange year, but I've enjoyed the challenge. Um, it's been a really good learning year for me. It's really testing me. I've called it the avalanche year because it's been one thing after another. There's either been a broken foot, there's been flu, there's been COVID, there's been uh, I'm fatigued, there's been um, there's been all sorts of stuff. But um, it's been... It's been a hard year for sure, um, but it's definitely been a good year for learning and um, just getting better and trying to get better skills and better coping for what we deal with every day, really. Yeah, the, let's let's talk about that broken foot, because I'm I'm guessing as a coach, that was something that uh, is was a unique situation. You have this guy who's coming off defending his Olympic title. Uh, he's heading into world champs and calm games um, as the heavy favorite. And then he has to deal with this injury. Uh, old, he goes to the calm games looking good in the hundred breast, and then uh, doesn't make the podium and then gets that 50 breast title coming back from that. Um, what were your takeaways from Adam's swims at Commonwealth games, especially after coming off that injury? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing with the injury was like, obviously, after the Olympics, he had some opportunities that you've got to take in terms of like commercially and you only get this journey once and the exposure was high. So he, he did that. That was cool. Then we went on camp and he was in a good place. And then we got to the trials and I was like, oh, he's in better shape than I thought he was. And I could hear him. I could, in my mind, I'd be like, oh, I want to go dancing and doing all that every winter cycle. Um, so then we got in a good space for the trials and then um we went on camp and then we started to cross over so we'd worked really really hard physically and emotionally to get into that space and went on camp to Tenerife and I was like ah we've crossed the threshold where I could see him starting to deliver stuff at a level that was going to probably sit him in 57 shape towards the summer yeah. and I had we had one week left and I was like right just one week and then he rattled his foot and I was like oh mate nightmare um, and then we got the x-rays and all that sort of stuff. And it was like, it's in a, it was in a place whereby if you don't protect it or don't let it heal, it would have limited his range forever. So we had to go, it was a tiny little minuscule little break, but the place where it was, there's no circulation. So we literally had to just take one week at a time and he was rattling around in a boot and then on a ski erg and in a canoe and everything. But ultimately the bottom line of it is as entertaining as that is, it doesn't prepare for long course racing uh, that off the back of no winter. And it's just, it's really simple. It's like not enough time to prepare, broke your foot, not enough time to prepare. So um, there's only so much you can do in that space. And he's a warrior in terms of like the way he came back in that 50 um, was great. And um, 
you know, it was just back to basics and back to just being aggressive and just getting it done. So, but just didn't have the the training capacity in his tank to survive three swims um, in a long course space. So, but he's having a break now and refreshing and then start the year in September rather than starting it in January, I think is, is probably the answer really. He had, he had mentioned that uh, for, you know, the last couple of years, how whatever time span that was, he hadn't had that spark or motivation that he had felt before um, for, for you as a, as, uh, as his coach moving forward, how do you help him regain that, especially at the place in his career where he is, where, you know, it's like, he, he just went to comm games and it's like, this will probably be my last comm games, you know, and he's looking to defend his two-time Olympic title, uh, looking to defend all those world titles, you know, in Fukuoka, um, you know, he's, he's at a unique place in his career somewhere, not many people get at all. Um, so how does that differ in terms of you helping him get motivated versus maybe, you know, four years ago before there was this pandemic and before there was maybe so much, I don't know, it, before he had added so much to his uh, resume? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing is for when you're at that stage of your career, you, you exchange motivation for discipline. Because the motivation gets you out of bed, but the discipline keeps you on the right track, keeps you doing the boring things, the things you've been doing for 10 years. And I always try to explain it to him like a fighter pilot. Like when you're up in the air and you're fighting and you're going at speed, that's the fun bit. But it doesn't mean to say that you can't still go through the procedures that are required, the safety checks, the boring stuff. And that needs to be done every time you take off. And so it's just making sure that he keeps the discipline around the edges on that so that he does the safety checks and that way the, the plane will go up and fly. Um, and for me and him, in terms of obviously we've worked together for like 14 years, I've always tried to, we've always had to manufacture motivation in some ways because he achieved so much year upon year. So you really have to force yourself to ask for more, ask the team for more, ask him for more. And that won't change. The most important thing for him moving forward is he has to be connected to his why. He needs to know what his moral purpose is, his business purpose and his performance purpose. And as long as he's really connected to that, this next two years will unfold how he wants to unfold it. Uh, and for me, I can't own that. I can't own that piece. I know what my moral purpose is, my business purpose and my performance purpose. But he needs to make sure he knows what his is. If this is the last 18 months of his career and this is how he wants to see himself out, he needs to know what his why is. And that will be the most important thing for us over the next 18 months when he's going through those boring discipline checks that you can't avoid to be high, high performance long course swimming. You can't avoid the boring stuff, the meters, the winter, the dark mornings, the, night, you know, the dark nights. Um, and it's just through those times, you need to really know what your why is. Um, and for me, my why is you know, this athlete is one of the most amazing athletes on the planet. And I still think there's just that little bit more and we should just try and find it. Um, but he needs to know his reason why. And that's what this time off's about and just reflecting. And this year will have helped him understand that. And yeah, and as long as we have that, we can look back with no regrets because we've given it 110% the whole way from start to finish. Um, and that in itself is, a, I think, it's an achievement that we'd never, ever ever back down through a challenge we've always found another way and um you know that's the bit to be proud of not the not the silverware that comes to it but our commitment to a cause from start to end uh, and we've never given in
never. So a couple things from that answer come up for me. The first of which is that when you say uh, manufacturing motivation, you know, I think of I think of the last dance of Michael Jordan and him making up rivalries or <laughs> making up different uh, different scenarios for other players. What is what is manufacturing motivation look like for you as as a coach, specifically with Adam? I think it's manufacturing the um, stimulus in preparation to make sure that it, it stimulates him to a point whereby he can be motivated by the training program or motivated by the, the set that's going out or motivated that um, he may be delivering it at the right level, but someone now also might be delivering it at the same level. So, and it's about manufacturing and just looking at what we have with Adam is a large amount of information, a large amount of facts. And we've gathered that even more over this last year. But ultimately, we know what the formula is, and it's just about sticking to the boringness that comes with delivering that formula. Um, but my job is to make that as entertaining as physically and emotionally and mentally possible. So then second of all, uh, you keep saying uh, long course high performance, which kind of mirrors what we've heard from Adam over the years of of this intense focus on long course. You know, he he hasn't competed a ton in short course he did isl and he was good there but it didn't seem like he was quite as dominant as in long course it, it's always just seemed like throughout his career the focus has always been on long course um how big of a proponent were you in in developing that mindset with him where was that your idea was that his idea was that kind of a joint effort and sitting down and saying this is what we want to accomplish because it's always seemed like the focus is is always long course. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for him is he was born to swim. He certainly wasn't bought, born to start and born to turn because we have worked so hard on that. And, you know, we've got him from a, someone that's 7-1 to someone that can go 6-3 to 15 metres. And I tell you now, that's been a 10-year slog. Um, so um, I just think he's more naturally built to, for the swimming side of the, the the sport, you know, short course meters is really good for us in terms of, you know, he broke a world record in the ISL season and um, it's really good for us to hone in starts and turns and skills. And, and we'll go to world short course this year as well to just practice those elements of it. But he, like some people have a, a natural talent towards short course and some people have a natural talent towards long course. Adam's always found his way in the long course pool, but the short course pool is very beneficial to us in terms of, you know, if you're not good at something, the best thing to do is do those things under pressure and learn. Uh, and that's what we use short course for. Um, so definitely it's good to have him in that space for sure. Uh, so then in terms of training, um, like, you know, you're the head coach at Loughborough now, you guys started out at Derby. Um what what does the training look like at Loughborough? I got to see a, a snippet of it, but you guys were kind of getting neat ready. Um, but uh, is it is is it more training as a group, or is it very individualized in terms of what people what sets people are doing on a day to day basis? Yeah, I think the the model that we use, which I think is 
it, it works for us is it's we all do performance, but the how we do performance is really individualized and personalized. I could write a set of 2100s up and ask an athlete to do it the same, but not one of them would have the same physiological response. So for me, it's about cracking the formula there, individualized physiology, psychology, technicality, character, and creating something that works specifically for them. Um, and that's how we work. But our group goal is to do performance. But our mantra is that, you know, you do you, as in how you get there will never be the same. You know, how I coach Adam Peaty is not how I coach Luke Greenbank. How I coach Jacob Whittle is not how I coach Anna Hopkin. How I coach, um, you know, joining the group Bella Hindley will not be how I coach Sarah Vasey. What we do is the same, but they'll all require me to be different in each in each scenario, but still up, still hold the standards that are required and have the conversations of what performance takes. Um, but how I get there will be very different with every individual. Is that hard to manage oh, yeah. on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. It's um, emotionally draining, trying to be a chameleon all the time. Um, but that's the fascinating bit about the job I love. Like, I love, hang on a minute, Luke's not done that set how I wanted to this week. I'm doing it again next week. What do I need to do differently? Is it more data around it? Is it more, okay, it needs to be 10 kicks rather than 11 kicks? Um, Adam didn't like that set because it just didn't stimulate, you know, all those kind of things. Um, and we do stuff stuff as a group. I'm, I'm really, um, I pride myself on the fact that they travel together as a unit um, and help each other. Um, but it's, yeah, you just got to change and shape yourself. And I don't, I'm not of the belief, and for me anyway, I think it works for others. And I think it's as long as you know who you are as a coach. But for me, it's, um, it's a level, it's a standard and it's a discipline, but it's individualized and specified to that person. Um, and I think that's how you get people, more people up the mountain. It's just my thoughts. <laughs> just your thoughts. Just if you're, if you're tuning in just now, just Mel Marshall's thoughts. Just my on, thoughts. On... Me and you, on a, you in the morning, me in an afternoon, just having some <laughs> thoughts. I, I, I think a lot of these are pretty enlightening. So again, thanks for, <laughs> thank you for sharing them. Um, so, so mine was the best. Is that what you said? <laughs> this, this is, this is the best Your, Yours <laughs> are the best thoughts. Uh, so, so I, again, um, on the training perspective, you know, if you, will you give a set, like, for example, I don't know if you give this set, but 2100s, will you give that to the whole group, but then just have them do it in different ways on any given day? Or do you come in and you, you're like, all right, today you're going six 100s, you're going eight and you're going 12. I think it would be a mixture throughout the, the periodized plan in terms of sometimes I might go eight, six, 12. But if I was going to give a block of 2100s, I would do everybody differently. So Luke might go um, five 100s best effort band into five 100s kick into five 100s best effort band into five 100s kick. Adam might go 25 breasts, 75 free, three at threshold, one easy, and then th- uh, one kick times four. Uh, someone like Anna might go a max 15 on every one, three, five, all the way up. Um, someone like Bella might go, how many 30s can you do across those 2100s? Somebody like Sarah Vasey might go all fins, five IM at threshold, five is 50 breasts, 50 free um, swim. Um, someone like Jacob, I would probably go with him in terms of, right, four, um, one to four, and that, sorry, three, one to three, uh, down to VO2, and then one easy, four rounds through. And I would just have 
the whole of thing running all on the same turnaround, but everybody doing different bits in the turnaround. If I was going to run it like that uh, on that particular day. Uh, the, <laughs> the speed with which you made a, a main set for five different athletes right there. That's impressive. Oh. Uh, so you obviously, you obviously know your athletes really well. Um, coming to that national center from Derby, it was, that was there a big difference was, was coaching that group of athletes, a, a big change from the group of athletes who were used to coaching at Derby. Um, well, the, the pool was certainly different because, um, I mean, the, I'm talking to Aska and I'll be able to show the quality of the, the pool that we were in before Rio, but, um, yeah, I mean, I brought a few athletes with me. So um, Luke had already started to join in Derby, come from a little club in Cockermouth and Adam and Sarah. So um, the biggest difference, obviously, was in terms of the other athletes that were already quite established in the centre um, and the bigger amount of staff. Um, so, yeah, it was a big change and there was lots of changes for me in terms of personally um, going from a community-based program to a professional governing body and how my role changed. So there was lots of moving parts and um, it was an interesting part of my journey, certainly as a coach. Um, and I found that quite difficult in the first two years, just managing, because I call it as I used to work on a speedboat and I was in charge of the speedboat, even though it had holes in a speedboat, but I was on a speedboat and then you kind of step onto an oil tanker. And so the oil tanker can go longer and can work better, but ultimately navigating the oil tanker and shifting it around can sometimes feel a bit slow um so that was the big change for me and I had to learn and adapt quite quickly on that but um it's a it's a you know I was from Loughborough myself so um I studied there and I was in the university program to start with and I went into the national center because they're two separate programs um and now obviously I head up the, the national center program so um but it was a big privilege in terms of it's one of the best jobs in the country and I felt very privileged to be given that opportunity. And, um, you know, I, this sounds really geeky, but I absolutely love my job. Um, I don't think, I, I don't feel like I've worked day in my life cause I'm just like swimming, 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 buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. Sad in it, but I love it. So it's all good. When, uh, when you decided to, transition from swimmer to to coach or maybe there was some time in between there where i don't know you worked on a speedboat or something uh when you decided to become a coach was that a goal of yours or something like being a national center head coach a goal of yours yeah 100 percent. i wanted that job from the day i started coaching um and I, but I wanted to do it properly. So I really wanted to go back to a club and earn my stripes and just learn everything I needed to, because having been an athlete, I felt the responsibility of making sure that I was fully equipped to support people in that top space. Um, and so for me, I wanted that job from as soon as I started coaching, really. But I wanted to earn that job and wanted to go about it the right way. Um, but I, I actually found myself in coaching by a little bit by chance because when I retired from swimming, I wanted to be a PE teacher. So when I was at university, I'd done loads of coaching or teaching other sports like hockey, football, with uh, kids with disabilities. So I'd had a massive experience with coaching, but just not in swimming. Um, and then I used to, as an athlete, you go to these star athlete things, right? And you, you would be the star athlete for the afternoon, but you'd often turn up to these places with 
just you, three volunteers, four lanes and like 90 children. And they were like, here they are, six hours. So I was like, I quickly had to learn, you know, how to kind of entertain and educate and keep these people occupied. And then I needed a job when I retired from swimming. So I applied for one, two jobs that were near enough so I could finish my university degree and travel and get some money. The one, the first job was at a club that was, um, wouldn't give me an interview. And then this job was um, available and they took a chance on me and um, I took a chance on them. And then from literally one week in, I was like, this is it. What have I been missing? Um, so, and funny story, when I went to the job interview for the Derby job, I didn't take any money with me by accident and I had my suit on. And basically I couldn't get out of the car park and I didn't want to make a bad impression and go back into the interview panel and say, can I borrow two pounds for the car park? So I had to beg in the street to get the three pounds off somebody to get out of the car park to leave. Um, so that was my story about my interview for that. <laughs> it's easy to get five pounds out of someone when you're in a suit though. I was, it took about two people. <laughs> you're in a swimsuit. Lesson learned. Uh, Absolutely. Nice. <laughs> wow uh that's that's impressive mel i never i've never heard that one before so then when you started yeah, coaching a suit, a okay a proper suit that's yeah, a little a more surprising to me maybe yeah, may, maybe they think you're more credible in a suit yeah maybe yeah maybe <clears throat> that's that's interesting so you start coaching um and at this at this club team in derby and then uh, what What about that takes you or what about that makes makes that goal of being a head coach on, on the, at a national team center really a reality for you? What, what took you to that space? Well, I think for me, uh, somebody told me that we couldn't have a performance program in the club that I was in. And that was just a red rag to a bull. So I was just like basically a load of people said oh you, you can't have performance in this club and we were actually a feeder club which we were supposed to feed into a performance center but I just wanted to do a really good job for the kids that I, I was working with and if they wanted to move that was cool and if they didn't then that was fine but ultimately with me doing a really good job everybody wanted to stay so then performance you know just got better and we started to win stuff and then we just got on this cycle but my whole goal was just you know, give the kids, because I was straight out of sport, I was just so passionate about giving kids the very best journey. Um, and that's what we did. We just like, everything was just about having fun and it was about getting better and it was about having no limits. Like my philosophy in the programme was that everybody can go to their Olympics, whatever that is. Now that might be to finish at 18 and have finished your swimming career and get your A-level results. That might be going to the regional championships. But the mantra was that you go to your Olympics whatever that is and I think that just kept people topped up and then eventually we started to get some good results and you know when I went into the program I had uh, 12 regional qualifiers and when I left I had uh, Adam who won the Olympics I had a kid who won the Paralympic bronze medal I had three kids on scholarships to the states I had 24 international uh, 24 like national medalists I had I don't know, I think it was five internationals at the time. Um, and we'd done this from nothing. So, um, yeah, but what, once I started on that train of, like, the, everything was getting better, I just wanted to prove myself. You know, you can do it anywhere. And I wanted to prove that I could do it anywhere and that I was really good. And um, I think that served me 
well the whole way through. And for all those people that said you can't at the start when he won the Olympics and the, the kid won the Paralympic bronze medal, I was just like, oh, I love being right. Even if it did take me eight years of being angry at you, I'm right. <laughs> Lesson learned, Mel Marshall can hold a grudge. <laughs> and she can prove life it. Sentence. They've got a life sentence, I tell you. <laughs> my life hell. Uh, at, at what point through this this coaching journey at Derby um, did you did you think you would have an Olympian or a Paralympian or an Olympic medalist or a Paralympian medalist? Well, I think I was. What was great about my early coaching days was I was a bit naive. I just believed in anything was possible. And I think that rubbed off on quite an influential group of people. Um, and obviously I met Adam, most people I think know this story, but you know he came along to the session one time and I'd met his best mate's mother through when I was getting my mortgage. She was like, oh, I've got a son that swims. And I was in that space where I just wanted some older athletes. I was like, oh, bring him along. And his name was Kyle and he brought Adam. And, you know, I genuinely, no word of a lie, when I saw this kid come in with his hair down to the side, I was like, he's going to block me space. He's a big boy to not be able to do freestyle. And, um, you know, he was in like the third lane with all the girls, um, like the 11-year-olds, and he was 15, 14 at the time. But then I saw him do breaststroke. And most importantly, I saw him race doing breaststroke. And he was like a little animal. And then all of a sudden his progression was quick. So in the space of like two, three weeks, he would shift up a lane and, you know, he started performing much better and he was only training with us times a week. So just added a bit, added a bit. And then I spoke at the, um, when he went 59 for the first time, I spoke at the British Swimming Coaches Association conference. And I said in that conference, because he'd done nine swims, nine PBs that summer. Um, and he just missed, and I basically said, this kid can go 57. And there was a little like a little bit of a, like the noise. The room made a noise, and then that was like to me. I was like, right, I'll show you. And um, and then you know, obviously in twenty fifteen, he broke the world record and went fifty seven. And that year that he did that, I thought I knew he was in fifty seven territory because the thing he was doing was just insane. Uh, I didn't think it was going to pop then. I thought it was going to pop the year after. I mean, that just blew my mind. That first world record, I was just like. I don't know what sort of life high that is, but that was a, a life high. Um, and then he went 57 that uh, in the trials that uh, summer, well, in the trials in the Easter. That is wild. He His first summer of swimming, when did he, when, when was the first time he went 59? So in 20, let me get my dates right. I'm not very good with air admin. Um, he went 59 in 20... 13 and because he just missed the world championships he went 60 point michael jameson just beat him and then he went and the trials were in the june and then he went 59 in the summer but obviously he didn't go to the worlds and then he won commonwealth's year after going 58 six and then obviously he went the in 2015 he went 57 for the first time yeah that is a heck of a progression um <laughs> So it, you, you, you go to this, uh, eventually in 2016, you move to, uh, the national training center back at Loughborough, back where you competed, um, did from being a swimmer to being the, at Loughborough to being a coach there at Loughborough, 
was that was that a unique experience for you? Did you really enjoy getting to come back home? Um, or did you did you were like, oh, I was kind of hoping to experience somewhere else, or did you really enjoy getting to go back to Loughborough? Well, I think we'd already, as a club, we used to go to Loughborough training quite a bit. Um, we used the pool there a bit because Derby was travelable. And then when Adam got good and had a couple of good athletes, we used to get some time there. So it, it was almost like quite a seamless transition. Um, and I think, you know, if I'd gone straight into coaching at that level at Loughborough, I would have felt a bit weird in terms of straight up being an athlete. But because I'd done eight years in a club, in a program, I'd got this kind of like, I suppose this, this feeling of you can put me anywhere now. It, it won't matter. I'll be able to cope and adjust and adapt. Um, and that's how I felt, I suppose, when I went in there. And like I said, there was things that I found difficult, but again, I, you know, I'm someone that tries to grow and, and get better at every scenario that I'm in. And, you know, in terms of you find your feet eventually, don't you? Um, but I think those eight years at Derby, you know, learning how to deal with angry parents, learning how to deal with the politics, learning how to deal with not having enough funds and not having enough money, not having enough coaching staff, not having enough um, water time, you know, pools being shut because somebody's taken a poop in the pool or whatever it might be, all those dramas. It, it does equip you for the next stage. It doesn't completely give you all the skills, but it certainly equips you for the, the next stage. Like, I mean, the dramas that I dealt with in that city club, but in the space of like sometimes two months, sometimes you just, I couldn't even tell you the stories on here, fella. They're just, in, they're just, it's, and you're dealing with it all on your own because all the people around you are technically volunteers. So you're just like, right, what's the procedure for this? This is a new one. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been a club coach for almost 10 years and not at that level, but I, I mostly, I don't have to deal with stuff cause I'm just like an assistant who comes a couple times a week, which is great. Uh, and so I just hear all the head coaches telling me these stories, but being a club coach is, does not seem that easy. Uh, no, it's not. And I really feel for the community of club coaches within our country, cause it's really hard hours and the pay is not very good. And, you know, I couldn't have done, you know, my years at Derby. I was, you know, at times eight weeks without a day off and I was five in the morning to doing the Masters till 10 at night and trying to run a programme that would produce performance at Olympic level. It was it was madness. And then, you know, I had angry. There was a, there was a guy. Well, it's a long story, but basically there was a guy who was a, a builder and I, his son was really naughty. And I'd been on a course about managing conflict. And the course was basically ask questions, dilute the problem. Tell me more about that. And this guy is fairly big, accosted me in the in the corridor. And he was like, why have you thrown my son out? And I was like, brilliant chance for me to exercise my managing conflict skills from this morning's course. Well, tell me why. And he just started shouting and shouting and all the kids were like, well, what's going on down there? And then I just threw the course in the bin in the back of my mind and just shouted back at him. And then I just stood my ground and I was just like, well, sometimes you just got to shout back, haven't you? <laughs> sometimes you can't always execute the, uh, the cause, right? No, definitely not. Uh, so, so as a swimmer, were you this tenacious about performance as, as you were when you were a coach or when you are a coach now? Well, I learned it over time. Like when I, I always worked hard, um, but I, when I finished my club days, I sort of, um, I, I'd exhausted 
did every kind of avenue. I always worked hard and then I sort of went into playing soccer, as you guys call it, for like a year when I was like 18 and just just dosed around really. And then I went, by chance, went to Loughborough University with a friend of mine, um, tried the swimming program there and I was just like, it was with Ben Titley and Ian Armager then. And um, I was just like, if I come here, I will be fast at swimming. Um, and so I just missed the Sydney Olympics. So I made the decision to move across and it was just a university program then. And I was with Ben and I was with Ben for seven years, actually, in terms of um, coaching uh, myself, James Gibson, Ian Hume, who's now coaching at university, um, Liam Tancock, um, Caitlin McClatchy. So um, we were with, I was with Ben for like seven years and, and it changed from a university into a center. Um, but, and then I went on a training camp with Bill Sweetnam in 2003 and um, that changed me forever. So I, I knew what working hard was, but he pushed me to another level and I made this threshold change where I went from someone that was good to someone that was great every day. Um, now, I know I didn't win the Olympics in 04, but I learned what it was to prepare at the level to be in a space to be um, the best in the world for sure. And I, and I learned that on that camp, you know, seven weeks of 15 metres off every wall, going 38 seconds for every 50, even on easy stuff, heart rate above 190 in the warm-up, the whole lot, shoes on doing fly kick, anything that was needed. We did it on that camp and there was like, you know, there's quite a lot of athletes on that that space that, and actually um, a lot of athletes that have now gone into coaching after that. So, um, yeah, that made me change as an athlete for sure. The the, the Ben Titley coaching tree is is growing every day. Uh, yeah, I mean, like half those athletes I think you mentioned are now, you know, coach, coaching at a very high level, right? Which is really cool to see. And um, but I was, I was amazed when I came to Loughborough, I was amazed to just learn about how many of those athletes, not only are coaches now, but were, were athletes at, a, at an exceedingly high level, um, when, in, in their own careers. Um, so when you're preparing athletes to, to, to train or to get prepared at that high, high level, is it, is it more about the physical, the physicality of what they're doing in training? Is it more about preparing their mental game or, or getting them of the mindset of, Hey, you have to be able to train at this level to, to get to a space where you can compete in an Olympic final for a medal. Yeah. I think it's, it's all of those things. Um, and have you ever watched Top Gun? I have watched Top right. Gun. So for those two people who have, this will make sense. For those who haven't, this is going to make no sense. But Maverick always says about don't think, just do. And so your job as a coach is to, through training programs or through simulation, is to do it so well that they don't have to think, they just do. And so the art of coaching to me is creating that autopilot, that dominant response under pressure, rolls and delivers at the right level and they don't have to think about it they just do now some of that comes through conscious coaching and some of that comes that through in terms of you creating and getting into their unconscious space so that you're just programming and working everything so in the background so that ultimately under pressure when they don't think they just do 
that's what comes out of them. And that's that's my philosophy in terms of the coaching. Now I get that because I was an athlete for sure. So I go, I coach from the inside out. So I go from what does the event need? What does the human need? How do I create that in my training programs so that when they get there, they don't think they just do. Um, that's how I go about it. Has there been um, a championship meet for you over these past eight ish or so years um, that you've walked away from feeling like you, you had a really significant piece of learning or like this was, this was the most you've ever been able to take away from a championship meet in terms of that preparation of trying to get them to not think just do. I think it's always learning. It's always learning. But for me, um, I always doubt myself as in like, have I done enough? Is it my fault? I like, I think some coaches would take some of the responsibility. I always take all the responsibility. So if they don't do as well as they can, I'm always like, that's got to be my fault. So I will always take that home with me. Um, but the biggest one that I always learn from everything in terms of seeing and racing that level and gets me thinking, but actually observing them in training, that really helps me gauge and help with that. Don't think, just do. Um, but the biggest one for me was, um, was Tokyo. Um, you know, as a coach, you never go unscathed. There's always one swim that you're like, didn't get that. The best set of results for me personally, at level across everybody. Like not one of them didn't fire. So, you know, Whittle fired. He was he was on, on point and best times, you know, came of age in terms of like um 17-year-old going 48-1 and um, 47-5 in relays. He swam great. Adam, 256-5 in the relay, 57-3 in the 100. Anna Hopkins, 52-7, 52-0 in the relay. Luke Greenbank, despite breaking his foot basically at the trials, you know, going 154 and getting that bronze. And Sarah Vasey, who was dealing with her mum, who um, was, you know, who had cancer and getting her to actually get to the games and, and swim 66 again. Um, you know, you never, ever come away from a meet where you're like, oh, and I for that one, I don't know how, but it's just like I, I left like, oh, they've all gone. All right. Great news. I don't have to worry about anything on break. I can enjoy myself. Um, so that to me was a real when you've coached someone like Adam. The story at the start is, oh, but over the time, the story changes. Oh, you've only got one athlete or you can only do this. And it's really great to see Bob Bala and Bob Bowman in terms of obviously with Leon in um, in uh, world. Because when you've had one like that, it's like it's almost a, it's an absolute privilege. I love working with him. It's been the best journey of in terms of it's just the best journey. But it's an elephant on your back because people just think, oh, you, you only coach him. So for me at the Olympics, when I got all of those results from those guys that I worked with, um, that was a massive like, Mel, you are, you're not just a, you know, you aren't what people think you are, which is just a one trick pony. You've got so much more to you. And I know that. And, but I took, it took Tokyo for me to know that if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for sharing that with our audience, because I think a lot of people probably don't realize that either. Um, but 
happy to spread that good word. Um, happy to sit down with you today, Mel. Thank you for taking the time out of your European championships to to sit down and, and chat and let me pick your brain for a while. Um, is there anything we've missed? Is there anything else you want to discuss before we sign off today? No, just when are you coming back? <laughs> well, a twenty-year-old. I've uh, I've been I've been to Marinostrum. I've gotten a taste for it, and so I think <laughs> I've probably got to make that trip again this year. And I'll stop in the UK along the way. Uh, fingers crossed. Let's get some better weather for you next time. I thought it was really I. I I was impressed with Loughborough weather. I don't, I think it only rained like once in like three or Done four well. days. Done well. Yeah. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.